Hello, I'm Hunt Etheridge. I'm an award-winning dating and relationship expert, TV personality, coach, matchmaker, writer, entrepreneur, husband, father, bon vivant, and all-around swell guy. I've been in the love industry for over 15 years and have been following all the ups and downs of today's dating dilemmas. I teach my clients that dating is a mix of biology, psychology, sociology, and anthropology. To understand our motivations, the motivations of the person sitting across from you, and the motivations of society at large, we have to delve into different aspects of it at different times to understand the machinations behind it so we can maximize our benefits. To keep myself updated, I'm constantly reading studies on all sorts of topics that can help me better understand my clients and what's going on out there. I've pulled together some of the most brilliant minds from across different fields to share what the data is telling us and how that can impact each and every one of our lives. This is Hunt for Relationship Science. Hello and welcome back to uh, my podcast, Hunt for Relationship Science. And today I am excited. Um, How do you pronounce your first name so I can make sure I get that right too? Liesl. Liesl. I I thought that might be it, but I want to make sure it wasn't Liesl. Liesl is an associate professor at the Hugh Downs School of Human Communications and director of the Relationships and Technology Lab at Arizona State University. Her research explores the ways communication technologies are used to develop uh, and dissolve interpersonal relationships and how technology is transforming the way we meet, date, and fall in love. Much of her work centers around online dating sites and mobile dating apps and where dating could be headed in the future, including the role of multimodal technology use, algorithms, AI, augmented and virtual realities, and all sorts of relationships. Her work has appeared in media outlets such as the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, Boston Globe, Time Magazine, Wired, NPR, and the BBC. And if you want to check out more of her stuff and summations of her studies check out her blog dating in the digital age at psychology today so lots of good stuff there thank you for joining me and it's wonderful to see you so wonderful to be here so i first came across your work when i was writing my latest article for do pickup lines actually work mm-hmm. which in and of itself is a lot more challenging of a topic to write now than say 10 years ago. Um, taking into account all the me too, um, where women are, are going in today's society, the role of men, etc., etc. Is there a place for things like pickup lines and things today in, in, uh, in today's mating and dating culture? And that's, uh, was it unknown. I was looking at it because a lot of the pickup lines, relate that word pickup comes back to like the pickup artistry and like a lot of the sleazy stuff that came out with the book the game and the mystery method and all that stuff so i still think that there's some connotations uh on that uh pick that that phrase pickup line do you do you agree yeah i absolutely agree with you and i think though even today it's still relevant in the sense that you have to have a conversation starter so maybe that that would be a good term to describe it where it's not so much about the gender who's initiating it's more about how are you going to get the conversation started with somebody 
Um, and especially on dating apps, that's such an important thing because you have to have a way to stand out. There's so many people, like you have to be able to say something that's witty and clever. And so I think people still, especially today, they spend a lot of time just, just thinking about how they're going to go about doing that. Yeah. And I also know that sometimes people end up getting into their heads and spending too much time thinking about how they're going to go about it and miss a lot of opportunities that may present themselves because life isn't perfect and, and nothing needs to be perfect. And in fact, most great things are less than perfect. But when it comes to the way that we interact online, it takes away a little bit of the spontaneity. And so now you have prep time, which can be both good and bad. Um, yeah, because we really get into our heads, and sometimes when we get into our heads too much, we just start going in these cycles and spirals, and, you know, mm -hmm. it can get crazy. So, well, let me ask you a question. Like, how did you get involved in the desire to study relationships and dating and interpersonal um, communications? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm a millennial, so I grew up with the divorce boom of the 80s just being very um, influential just in, like, my early adult experiences, experiences of uh, my friends as we were kind of moving through adulthood and thinking about what our own relationships should look like. And so when I got to college, I was really interested in relationship science. And I was especially interested in how we could predict why some relationships are successful and why some are not. So I started reading a lot of like John Gottman's work and I became absolutely fascinated by his ability to use data to answer this question of, you know, why do some relationships make it in the long run and some don't, especially when you consider how high the divorce rate is. I mean, it's stabilized, but it still hovers, you know, somewhere around 50%. A lot of marriages don't make it. Um, and so also around the time that I was in college, technology, um, social media, online dating, it started to become a lot more popular. And I had friends who, after we graduated, they moved away to different cities and they were starting to use online dating. And the question at the time, from a research standpoint, it was like, why would somebody do this? There was no stigma, so it was like, why would you need to use online dating to meet somebody but these were friends of mine. So anecdotally, I mean, I knew that they didn't so much need to. I knew that there was something else there because I was you know, familiar with their dating experience and their prior relationships. And so I just um, I really gravitated to that topic. I also see with online dating a lot of potential to intervene in relationships, to help guide people, to help people make better choices um, as they're developing the relationship into something potentially long-term. And so I started studying this um, when I entered grad school and I really stuck with the topic. And since then it has just exploded with dating apps and it going to a younger um, audience. And so a lot, a lot has happened since when I first started studying it. Yeah, I, I concur. I've been doing this for about 15 years as well too. And that was, back when online dating in general was considered taboo and yeah. meant that you were, you had no other way of meeting people and you hit it. And even part of, you know, uh, your study here when they're talking about, um, where was it? The, the stigma, the stigma yeah. of meeting online, you know, it's still there. 
now are people making up their faking their meat cutes so that they have a better story than like an algorithm put us together but back then you you absolutely had sort of had to lie because um there were a lot of connotations that would come along with it i have found happily so the age of my clients is decreasing as the stigma is going away people are realizing it's a skill set like many other skill sets and if they don't feel comfortable yet in this skill set let me go find someone that is knowledgeable in this skill set so i can get that piston firing like even even my my messaging over the years has changed it used to be not so much so but like you're broken and i can fix you i can help you and now it's much more you're killing it at your career you're staying fit and working out let's make sure all parts of your life are also going along with this as well too yeah um go ahead your thought just the way you're framing that i think that that is very helpful to people just encouraging them to adopt more of a growth mindset surrounding online dating because it really is a skill and with more experience learning how to navigate that environment working on your interpersonal skills you can get better and experience better outcomes and i think a lot of people go into it with this idea that I am who I am, and it's a matter of just finding the right person that compliments me rather than looking at it as dude. you can develop it. Dude, like, seriously, in matchmaking, it's the exact same thing. Yeah. It is always, and I'm over-exaggerating as well, too, but it's always, I'm perfect, I just haven't met the right person yet. Yeah. I yeah. don't need to work on myself, I just need you to introduce me to the right person, like... Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the questions I ask my clients, I don't ask for a response. I just ask them so that they can think about it is, would you date you? Yeah. You know, would you, if you, if your ex or your, excuse me, your, your Adonis, your Apollo, your Aphrodite walks in right now, do you have the skills to earn them? Do you, what do you have over everybody in that room that is going to earn them? Right. And a lot of times that at least starts people thinking a little bit more about that because sometimes people can have overinflated impressions of who they are. Um, you have yeah. men that think they're God's gift. You also have women that don't realize that they're in a different pool right. now than when they were 20 years ago mm-hmm. and and trying to not get people to get upset but to understand data and how things work i think is the first step in getting people to where they want to be you know because um like you said and like i mentioned too it is a skill set and a lot of people like just about everybody has worked out you want to get healthier you want to lose weight whatever you have you come in with a plan i'm going to cut back calories i'm going to work out a little bit more i'm going to take some classes and yet, so many of us, when we're looking at a romantic life, don't make any sort of a plan and just assume, you know, the, the phrase uh, advice that I detest the most is, don't worry, it'll happen. Yeah. I say, um, to, to put it in context, I say to, to them back, if I wanted to learn German and you told me, don't worry, it'll just happen how inane that sounds, yet that's exactly what we say when it comes to this whole world of relationships. Um, 
a lot of, we're all just thrown in there. It's not something that's really taught to us. And in fact, um, I was reading a study took place in England that I would love to try to duplicate here with school kids, basically learning to teach them interpersonal relationships. There's nothing that teaches, like, before we get to dating, we need to work on just human-to-human interactions. And sadly, with the prevalence of social media online and the way people interact online, which is very different than in person, and then you throw in a pandemic, there's a lot of people that aren't really sure how to do this whole in-person thing as well, too. And then people use the online dating as as a shield, as a retreat, as an excuse. Mm -hmm. um, why things aren't going the way they want it to as well, too. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure you've come across in your research, too. Sometimes people look at online dating as entertainment and not outcome driven. Yeah, and they also, I mean, even people who have excellent interpersonal skills, there's also the aspect of expectations and <laughs> about what you're looking for, because I think for a lot of people, they feel like if they just keep swiping, if they just go through enough people, they're essentially going to find this ideal you know, person, this image that they have in their mind of what that perfect individual looks like. And it... I think it causes a lot of problems for people. And so part of it is also that period of reflection that hopefully <laughs> if you're working with somebody like a coach or a matchmaker, they can help guide you through and thinking about, okay, what am I looking for? Why is it that I'm placing so much emphasis on those qualities? And also, are they realistic? And are they going to matter to me? <laughs> people can work through that and work on their skills. And I think that that can set them up to be more successful in this space. And otherwise, I think it can become very frustrating for people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have all the data. Basically, yeah. this, it makes, if you, it is like a tool. I'm a carpenter, so I use tool metaphors. It's, it's a hammer. Sometimes it's going to be the right tool for the right job. But if you use it incorrectly, it can really hurt you yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um you know, and, and the sites know this. The sites know this too, as well. But they, you know, I was in one of your studies. You were mentioning, uh, let's see, where was it? The Fatima was. She's like, I tried plenty of fish. I tried Match.com, Black People Meet, Christian Mingle. Three of those are all owned by the same company. Mm -hmm. So this is basically what those companies want. They want you to have a okay experience on one then go on to a different one, have an okay experience, then go on to another ones. And people don't seem to realize that the goal of these apps and sites is to extract wealth and not necessarily to place two people together. And if you go in with that with your eyes open, that's fine. That's okay. But a lot of people think online dating is a panacea, a fix for... Re meeting people in the real life and it is not and exactly kind of what you said like it for instance it brings in paralysis of choice yes you all constantly think that there's someone in that next swipe mm -hmm. uh and not only that but then you get those um you know those two words that you mentioned expectations and and reality and this is a thing that we struggle with too because again we've got the media telling both sexes all sorts of crazy stuff. I have a generation of women 
singing Someday My Prince Will Come, feeling that a Disney prince, a perfect 10, not a 9.5, will come down, swoop them up with no effort on their behalf, and they'll be happy as a clam. And I have a generation of men who think running through airports and delivering 12 dozen roses and showing up on doorsteps with, like, signs and these grand gestures is the key to love, and it will get you arrested. And so we have these two sides kind of working at opposite uh, ends to attract the other person. Um, almost almost the way the gyms work. A lot of women are working on their lower half. A lot of men are working on their upper half. And if you ask what the other half is looking for, that's not what they're looking for. But, you know, here we are trapped in this cycle of trying to figure out what the other person wants. So coming back to one of your original comments as well, too, is figuring out the interests and values because you said if people know what they want online then it's easier to find people on the line people knowing your know thyself right nobody wants to do that though they they think they know or they have an overestimated uh think idea of what they are in the dating world what they can offer in the dating world um and so, yeah, it can create, and like I said, if you if you are using it incorrectly, it can be a real ego bash when you're sitting there and you're not getting any replies or anything whatsoever too. And almost like, and you also mentioned there's the interpersonal skills. Great. But that's for interpersonal people. On, that's a whole different skill set when it's on paper. Yeah. And then you have this. This is a whole different skill set as well, too. Being able to present yourself well on, on Zoom or online and on Snap or whatever it is. There's three different skill sets and people are trying to master them. Yeah, and that's part of the fundamental problem, too, is what you evaluate somebody on when you're interacting the way we're mm-hmm. talking now can be quite a bit different from what you're basing your evaluations on when you're just reviewing a profile. So when you look at a profile, what do people look at? They look at what somebody does for a living. They look at maybe some of their interests. They look at how tall they are, for example. And these are things that, you know, can people place a lot of importance on, but then when they actually have a conversation, it all goes out the window when they're like, oh, this person, you know, they're not making me laugh or they're kind of disrespectful or something is just off about this conversation. And so they spend all that time ruling people in out of the dating pool based on things that ultimately don't matter as much as they, they do. Totally. People get hung up on interests as opposed to values. Yes. But people, it's hard, people don't know their own value systems or values or even how, if they even do know it, how do I express it so I can attract that to me too? But Exactly as you said, too. I I caution everybody on first dates and online to not give too much. I know that's difficult in these day and age. But for instance, if I met someone on, you know, in the first 30 seconds, they were like, I listen to death metal and thrash metal. I might be like, all right, well, this this isn't going to work out. And because it's a disqualifier and I toss it out because there was no foundation. There's no foundation. But right. if you and I had gone on a if I'd gone on a date with this person like three different times, I'd met them in the real world and we talked about our families and things like that. And then we got on to music. It's like I like de- you know death metal and thrash metal. I'd be like, hey, I guess we're just never going to a concert together. Anyways, how about the Mets? You know, like right. it wouldn't be a thing. And I think yep. that the more information that is out there gives more people these disqualifiers that they're willing to just throw things out for the tiniest 
little thing thinking again, yes, that the next, the next one is going to be better than that. And I forget what study or book it was in, but basically 60 to 70% of people's stuff or issues are not going to be fixable or changeable. You wake up early or you wake up late. You like eggs or you don't like eggs, you know? Um, and the goal is to find someone who's 60 per 70 percent is just about deal. You can deal with it because yeah, if you like horses and I like horses, that's great. But if I believe in spending and you believe in saving, that's not going to work out as well too. Yeah. Um, I think John Gottman said that you're supposed to find somebody who drives you crazy in ways that you can live with. Just the idea that something (laughs) person aren't changeable and you just have to figure out where you're okay essentially compromising the things that you know aren't going to matter so much to you like that you can deal with versus the things that should actually be excluding somebody from consideration yep i and again your study too which see i I got it here and see all all highlighted up and and marked up and annotated so yep this is my beach reading in puerto rico um uh, scarlet mentioned that like the 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 algorithm you know, the almighty capital A algorithm that we just sort of sell our soul to. Um, you know, she, your, the, the woman in your study, Scarlett, said that she was first excited to meet people that were matching 90%, 92% because, oh, that's that's almost 100%. But like you were kind of mentioning that there was like fatal flaws or something, you know, like, ah, they didn't, it just didn't mesh or uh, there were some of the worst dates I'd ever had, she says, and that she started lowering her expectations mm-hmm. to found that 70 to 80% was the sweet spot for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's a conversation. I forget where that is in uh, the algorithm uh, that you had mentioned as well, too. Um, yeah, uh, basically, oh, the algorithmic relationship intermediaries and the mediated attraction clues Mm -hmm. basically people the algorithm says x and you can say oh cool the algorithm says x using x i'll put that into an equation and decide whether i now add it to y and z and see whether that comes out to be something that i want to you know to to go with as well too but some people just only trust the algorithm and like i said like this then it's just going to be that those surface level interactions or, or, or things that you that that are searchable or, or, or um, very specific quantitative things that aren't going to be in thoughtfulness or caring or attentive to details or like the Gottman studies turning to my bids, uh, mm-hmm. telling me what you know what you're interested in and things like that as well too. So, do, did you find or do you think there's any way to? showcase that online or is that something that really is only going to come down to one-on-one interactions yeah i mean i think that it's really difficult the way dating apps are designed currently to really be able to capture that element of somebody those experiential qualities those things that you really wouldn't know about somebody until you've had a conversation um it's really hard to capture that data in an algorithm. And I think you're picking up on something with this section too. The way these participants in the study talked about algorithms was very interesting when you think about their significance, because 
they're helping them choose a long-term partner. I mean, these are people who these participants ended up engaged to, ended up married to. And that choice of a partner is one of the biggest choices most people will ever make. And they're looking at this information the algorithm is giving them. And they're using that to inform their decision of, you know, do I have a conversation with this person or do I swipe right on by them? And so it it was really eye-opening to me to hear talk about how that information informed their judgments because it's hugely consequential. And we honestly don't know a lot about how they're arriving at those recommendations. Nope. But yeah, it's it is forget again what 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 study or what book it in, but basically who you marry is the the biggest pre- predictor of your your future uh, money, your future happiness, where you live, like your future success in your job, like all of these things. And yeah, so it it is a huge thing. It is the largest thing that's going to affect you and. There have obviously been pros and cons to this whole internet slash dating thing. One of the things that has come up that is wonderful is uh, the fact that there's so many more mixed relationships, mixed uh, marriages, mixed children out there because these social groups just didn't bump into each other in the normal world. But because now people are online, there's a lot more bumping into. I mean, Technically, I am in an online inter inter uh, relationship because my wife is Latina, and I met her on MySpace. Um, but that was a long time ago. So, and it wasn't technically an online dating site, but um, it was the internet, which again comes up into these statistics. You see, like forty to fifty percent, or seventy to eighty percent of all relationships start on the internet. Yep. Because it's not just online dating, it's Facebook and Instagram and Snap and all of these other mediated mediums that are pretty much how we start coming across people. And I, I, I know I've withdrawn from society a little bit more, especially with the pandemic and things like that, too. And so this... The skills that treat you well in person don't necessarily work for you online and vice versa. But 70 to 80% of the information that we give to each other isn't with the words that we use. It's the tonality and the, the pheromones and the, and the touches and all of that stuff too. So it, it becomes challenging when we spend more of our time online, but yet you, it, it has the least amount of yeah. power behind the meeting and the interaction. Absolutely. And just to give you a sense of how much things have changed, I mean, for this study, I was doing interviews and I had people from all sorts of different age cohorts. And when I talked to younger people, people in their early 20s, some of them had never had the experience of just going out and approaching somebody and asking them on a date in person. All of their relationships had started through social media or through online dating. Like to them, that was dating. That's the norm. And it just really made me reflect a bit because just to think that somebody's never like walked up to someone, you know, had a conversation, asked for their number, had the experience of getting rejected, <laughs> just, I mean, things have changed so much for younger generations. And I really look at that and I see it as a sign of kind of what's to come because I think a lot of people are turning to social media and online dating and sometimes foregoing opportunities they might have to meet people face to face thinking, 
well, it's easier if I just swipe because I don't want to get rejected. I don't want to have. See there, there, there we go too. Is it's um, life is pain versus pleasure, right? Yeah. So we move towards that which is pleasurable. We move away from that which is painful. But that's our lizard brain. We are irrational creatures, and we got to reverse that sometimes. Like working out, we have to move towards pain, mm-hmm. and sometimes we have to move a- a- away from pleasure as well too. Um, like meaning, if you're talking to someone that's going well, get the number and get out before you. Before you kill it, before you say something stupid, or you just run out of energy, and then the the interaction disappears. But I've I it boggled my mind. So I would take one of the things that I offer is to take people out into the real world. I call it on site coaching, so we can like get that um, real time stuff figured out. But like a guy would go up and talk to four women, and it may not go the way he wants it to. Talk to the fifth one, and it does. So win ratio is twenty percent. Mm-hmm. But he had to walk through four pain points to get there. And I found that when online dating came out, they would rather go home, send 100 emails, get one positive response for a win ratio of 1%, but not have to go through any pain points to get there. Mm-hmm. And so it blew my mind that, I mean, it's a natural, adaptive way that the human brain works, that we are more pain-averse than pleasure-seeking because that's what keeps us alive. If there's five ways to get to the watering hole and one of them has a lion, you remember which one has the lion. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just amazing to me that they would rather lower their, their success rate drastically if it, if it meant avoiding the pain. And then again, that pain is only self-induced. Yeah. Um, I... I ask both my men and my male and female clients, like if you go up to talk to talk to someone and it doesn't work out, what did you actually lose? Seven seconds. That's it. Just that's it. Everything else is in our head. That doesn't mean it's not real. That doesn't mean it's not difficult. It does mean we have the ability to feel about how we want with that interaction. Um, and a kind of what you're talking about with this next generation I think, again, with the advent of the interwebs, it has had unintentional effects like, I've gotten lost. Mm-hmm. I've had to stop at a random gas station, go up to a random person and ask for help. Yes. Many times. I've been in a store. I couldn't find something. I'd have to go up and ask somebody something. If I wanted to know where Tom Petty grew up, I would have to ask every person that I came across in my entire life until finally somebody somewhere was like Clearwater, Florida. And I do really, we have definitely gotten away with that. A whole generation, if they want to know information, it's all right here. Yeah. And that, that three feet of walking up to somebody where they know that you're walking up to them and you're preparing your, whatever you're going to say can be, really scary for people that have just never learned how to do this in any sort of a capacity whatsoever. Oh yeah. And I think part of it is also, they want the information, right? And so what's running through their minds is, you know, how do I know they're single? How do I know if I would like them? Like, how am I supposed to know anything? I'm supposed to have the conversation before learning all of that information. Like I'm supposed to let that come out naturally I think for a lot of people, they're like that combined with the rejection element. Just no, I'd, I'd rather have a problem. I'd rather have my distance. And and even that word you just used, you know, the words we use create our own reality. 
And I hammer on people how much that we get in our own way of, you know, of ourselves. The word reject. In order to reject something, you have to know it. Mm-hmm. You have to compare it to something else you know. You have to weigh the pros and cons and you choose one and you reject the other. You didn't get rejected. It was just a non-starter. Yeah. Oh, man, I totally failed tonight. Did you? Did you learn anything? Then you didn't. But using the words rejection and fail are very large words that we use in in our own brains to tell us what we did. Yeah, absolutely. And also the people who can reflect on that and use it as a way of thinking about, okay, what would I do differently next time? Would I change the type of partner I approach? Would I change how I start the conversation? I think the people that are able to see even the bad dates and the quote rejections as an opportunity for growth and to learn something. I think those are the people that tend to have the most success. And also, you know, it prevents things like burnout and it prevents the frustration of the other people experience where they're like dating is awful. You see it as an opportunity for growth. And I think that helps. Yes. Yes. The reminds, I mean, I say basically this whole process is mental. I say it's great and it's horrible. It's great because it means you're in full control of it. And it's horrible because it means you're in full control of it. And so, yeah, getting getting okay with the process is basically the, the, the most important thing that you can do. Because if you feel pain on anything, you'll stop doing it. When we work out, it feels painful. The actual act of working out is painful, but we link it to the future pleasure of how we're going to look, how we're going to feel, how we're going to be perceived, whatever our own carrot is for that as well, too. And for this process, the dating process can be very uncomfortable to put yourself in new positions, to go out with people, to walk up to someone and that you've never interacted with and say something for, too. So part of my teaching and coaching is to get people okay with this process. Because again, if you can be okay with the process, then you can continue to go. And so everyone has to find a mental link for the future pleasure of being in a relationship, getting married, having kids, of being in a family, having sex, whatever it is to make the current pain, uncomfortableness bearable for them. Mm-hmm. Now, I was an actor many years ago and if I went on 12 auditions a week, what was the word I heard the most? Yeah. Hmm? No, I mean, no, yeah. exactly. And so what I heard in my own head was you're not good enough. You're not tall enough. You're not fit enough. You're not attractive enough. Whatever my own insecurity of the day was. It took me many years to realize you're the right for the part or you're not right for the part. And in fact, I could have been the fittest, most attractive, tallest person that walked in that day. It just wasn't right for the part. It wasn't compatible. And once I could get that, so what felt totally personal, personal rejection of everything that I am was not personal in the slightest. And when I was able to kind of move that into the dating world, that just opened up so much more for me because you, again, you go up to talk to someone and instead of saying to yourself, it's a rejection of everything that I am. If you can just say, Oh, it's just not compatible. It's a non-starter. They don't know anything about me. What felt a personal rejection of everything you are, it was not personal at all because they don't know anything about you. 
Absolutely. And people tend to really internalize those types of things. But if you're able to think of something external to you that could have caused that behavior, you know, maybe they're already kind of seeing somebody, maybe they're not at the point in their life where they really have time for dating. There could be all of these factors. Maybe they're having a bad day and they don't. Exactly. No one that they talk, no one that comes up to talk to them is going to work. And so it's not always anything to do with you either. And I think we're always so self-focused, right? We think that anything that is good or bad that happens, it's all because of us and something we did. That's actually a worksheet that I had to send out to. It's called Countering Negative Thoughts. I'm guilty of it just as as, as much as anyone else. Like when I would take people out, like I remember specifically one time, I am loud. Um, (laughs) And was, you know, talking with my client and 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 a woman and we were just kind of all chatting and laughing and, remember seeing some guy kind of like giving me this you know side eye like and then my head i'm like oh he probably thinks i'm an asshole and then, and then i'm like or he could be thinking i wish i could do that yeah everything in life has a pro and a con list it's up to us what side we look at and when we don't know something so many times we look at the negative aspect of it and assume the negative as opposed to assume the positive yeah. um and that can do a number on our ego. And that's completely self-inflicted wounds. Yeah, which can be difficult. Now, I would love to get your opinion on um, on two things. They, they go along with it. One of the words is settling. Usually comes up with my women of, yeah. a, of a certain age. Um, and kind of goes back to a, a something we're talking about. Realistic versus unrealistic expectations and then dating up so all right let's let's pull these let's start because they they go together but they're vastly different things so do you have a desire to where where you want to start with either of these two or should i just set you up Battling that just that's everyone's biggest fear in online dating, especially how do I know if I'm settling for somebody? How do I know if I don't just keep going? I'm not going to find somebody else. Like that's what I think it it really is what people are afraid of is that they're going to end up settling for somebody when they could have found somebody better. And here's the thing up until a little while ago, like 20 years, everybody settled for (laughs) what they thought would be a good and i have found again my own anecdotes but i'm going to overgeneralize here but a lot of people that maybe consider themselves sixes or sevens somebody proposes to them says they love them they're like yes you know check check please i'm out let's do this babies in house a lot of people many times women that maybe consider themselves eights or nines or higher. I call it the poker, you know, the poker effect. They're holding their hand. Someone says, I love you. Wants it, they're like, eh, you know what? I'm, I think I can get a better hand. I'm going to, I'm going to push this back. Yeah. Not only statistically may a better hand not come up, but then years later, they're in a completely different pool of daters than they were and still want to. Yeah. Yeah, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with just this idea that the person that someone is today is who they are always going to be and that the relationship that you have in this moment is what your relationship is always going to look like rather than thinking, okay, this person and I can grow something together. 
we can decide the course of this relationship and adopting more of a growth mindset where it's not that I'm settling, it's that I'm building something with another person and I'm aware of their flaws. I'm aware of everything that's great about them. And I think that we can grow something and make something really great work with each other versus saying, yeah, they're not perfect on paper today. And so, you know, I'm going to have to settle because I'm not getting entirely what I want. I mean, I think that that expectation, like you're never going to find somebody that checks every single box unless Mm -mm. incredibly. And if you do, they're probably a psychopath somehow. I mean, and you don't know what's going to happen in the future. You know, there's so many things that happen in our lives that bring us closer to our partner, you know, stressors that come up, major events, and you look at how they respond in those moments and it can bring you closer. And so it's just, um, I think that the idea of settling, it goes back to just some of the inflated expectations that people have yet it comes up all the time and it's what people i think are really driven by because they nobody wants that to happen and and this kind of then tails together with the dating up kind of thing as well too because again overgeneralizing and not pointing fingers but 30 years ago a man did not say my wife needs to have the same degree as me. She needs to be able to talk business with me. She needs to be able to have gone to therapy and done the inner work together. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and all of these other things. Simply, men were just looking for someone that loved them. Um, but more, we're looking for someone compatible. Mm-hmm. They could have different skill sets that they could put together to grow. Because yeah. there are three entities in a relationship. You, me, and us. Yeah. And the us is the growth part of it and yeah you you, you want to grow it you don't want to get in trying to fix the man you can both grow together um but then it comes into the um okay so women you have done an incredible job of breaking glass ceilings busting down heteronormative behaviors of being bosses and and all sorts of stuff however i have found with my clients <laughs> I can almost never get them to let go of the heteronormative behavior of dating up or at least equal. When you are the up, you're the up now. There's no more up. Or, or, or if there is one more up, that they're an asshole, a type A, gay, married, or all of the above. And that's not really going to be the greatest match for you. But I... I, I, I know I'm, I'm going to assume, but this, I, the way I feel is that if these women marry someone that is quote unquote less successful than them, they are failing their grandmother and everything that she fought for. They're failing their mother and everything that she fought for and failing themselves and things that they fought for, which is not the case. But I, but this is, this is a challenge. This is a very, Big challenge. And I think that women in general, again, this is overgeneralizing and oversimplifying, have to come to a reckoning of what do you want? Mm-hmm. And there's a, a term for this in the literature. It's called aspirational mate pursuit. And there's a mm-hmm. paper that came out just within the past couple of years that looked at how this plays out in online dating because it's a very different dynamic. And even beyond the gendered aspect, when you think about what we were talking about earlier, you know, approaching somebody face to face, you approach them 
they either are interested or they're not, you get the feedback and then that informs the next person that you're going to approach. But in online dating, you don't always get the feedback. So you send 20 messages, no one replies, and you don't really know what to make of that. And so people can become very aspirational. They can really, really, um, I mean, they'll just, some people will message anyone with no consideration about compatibility or whether, you know, this person would be a good match because the feedback is just missing. And Mm -hmm. that some of this is also about the way these platforms are designed where you don't really know, um, you know, you don't know what people are thinking when you're reaching out to them. And um, one of the things I found as well too, is that all women have learned since puberty to have the ability to keep men at arm's length for reasons. Um, They have learned to, open up the doors sometimes if they're interested and allow people to walk through. Mm -hmm. But once they reach a certain age, maybe they've all they've learned to do is open the door, but no one's walking through the door anymore. And they never actually learned the skills that many men have to learn to go out and get it. And so we'll have these wonderful, powerful, attractive women that have just never learned the skill sets of how to get something that they want. It has always been come to them and they decide which one they choose. So that's a whole nother skill set as well. Mm-hmm. And in online dating, I mean, when you look at the gender dynamics, something that comes up often is that these platforms tend to be more populated by men than women. So if mm-hmm. you're talking about heterosexual relationships, what you end up with is a situation where women are getting a lot of messages they can't deal with it all they're not responding to some of them like they're overwhelmed by it and then men aren't getting replies and so they're sending out all these messages they're spamming people they're swiping right on everybody and they're getting really frustrated and so you also end up with that added element of frustration on both sides because you know you think a lot of attention is a good thing until it's not right and until you actually have to reply to those people people you would never be interested in potentially and it's hard to find the right ones in in all of that um in new york city there's five women to every three guys and so there i mean there's a there's a asterisk on that about college education mm-hmm. if you take out college education it's 50 50 but w- because again people are check marking those things you might have, again, oversimplifying, you go out in New York City, you've got three dudes standing there, you've got three hoochies standing in front of them in tiny little skirts, and two quality women behind them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's hard for men to see past these women to get to see the see the quality women in the back, too, because we're easily distracted by a lot of things. And then you have these women that don't un- know how to compete in this market, in this world, it's not what they want, but they don't know how to get access to these men because there's so many women around. Yeah. And I think this is, I mean, it's something else that online dating does. It really does create a competitive market because in the past, again, going back to the pre-online dating era, it's like you're only meeting so many people. And so if somebody, you know, you're kind of interested and they're interested in you and you'll give it a shot, like you'll go on a couple of dates, you'll see where it goes. 
but now you don't really have to do that. So if somebody isn't immediately everything that you want or they don't immediately just grab your attention, you can just quickly move on. And so I think that's part of it as well. Like people do feel like they have to compete. They feel like they have to stand out. And this is where you get all the negative behaviors, like where people lie and they exaggerate and they spend all this time on their pickup lines and trying to figure out how they can stand out in this pool. Um, I, I do really think that competitive dynamic of it is something also that's very unique to online dating. And so the the million dollar question is, what do we do? Yeah. How do how, how do we fix it? You know, we, we know what the data the data saying that we can find each other, and you know, you can highlight people that have more interactions, or excuse me, more things in common. But that doesn't mean it's going to work out. So, what do you tell people? Like, how what, if someone says, "What should I do?" Yeah. Do you have advice? And I know that it's a huge yeah. thing, but. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that if you have the means and the ability to work with um, to work with somebody, whether that's a coach, somebody who you hire to help you, whether that's your friends, like just gathering a support system that can really help you review your profile, um, help you vet partners. Like, I think having somebody to lean on and make sure you are taking those opportunities to learn and to reflect and to reframe the rejection as something that maybe is going to help you in the future. I think that's really great. And even, I mean, you can get that from podcasts, like the one that you're listening to right now, you can get it from reading articles online. But I think a lot of online dating, when you're swiping, it's not like you're usually out with your friends doing this as part of a communal social experience. It's usually you at home by yourself with a glass of wine on the couch. Like, there's nobody there to help you and provide that support that you might Yep. And an average of 90 minutes a day. Yeah, that's, I mean, is it really 90 minutes? That's, that's, yeah. And so you're, people are handling all of that on their own. And I think that having a support system can be really helpful for getting you through. And I think that that's, that goes back to kind of what we've talked about, especially the digital natives. It's like, they they don't have support structures because they yeah. didn't go out to meet people. They don't have it or, or th- that support system isn't completely online, which isn't necessarily bad thing necessarily but i yeah, do think is- in real life i mean physiologically psychologically sociologically we're built to be in a community um and i and while what's the other oh yeah the other study i have out at the moment which mediated social interactions give the need to belong none um you know we need to add to our online personas and have this offline areas as well too and you know, I think that if you can get that mindset, you'd mention it too. And I try to impart this onto all of my clients is like every interaction that you do, whether it's romantic or not romantic, what did I do right? And then what could I have done better? Again, not what I do wrong because it's the words that we create our own reality. But every interaction that you go into, you kind of, even this one, you and me talking mm-hmm. after I get off, I could be like, oh, I forgot to bring up that question. And oh, I should have, you know, mentioned these things too. And if you can, look at every situation, every interaction as something that gets you a little further up that, that, that interpersonal relationship ladder, mm-hmm. then yeah, I think these, that, that that's going to be the best case scenario for everyone. 
Absolutely. And I also think on top of that, like getting offline quickly, like using dating apps for what they're good for, which is expanding the dating pool, introducing you to somebody you might be interested in, but then getting out there and actually meeting them instead of having this pen pal thing going on, I think really helps too, because we know from research that people aren't good at guessing what it is they're going to find attractive in somebody after they meet them in person. So you're going to spend a lot of time talking to somebody and then you might meet them and think this person is not what I was looking for. And you build up expectations and all of these things that can happen that really make it like a waste of time. Ultimately, the first date is just not. And also, you want to save your good for in person. Yeah. If I I remember, you know, writing two hour long emails to 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 go back and forth talking about our whole lives, and then like after a couple of weeks, I'd like lost my interest because I felt like I learned everything about them in these emails. I didn't have any more questions for them, and you want to save that for the for the tonalities and for the interpersonal things like that as well too. I caution all of my clients no more than four times back and forth. Yeah. Like get, get in, get out. Because mm-hmm. even if you find out that they don't want to meet, this is part of that mental thing that you need to learn to congratulate yourself. Yeah. I'm so glad I found out now that they're not actually interested in a relationship mm-hmm. or I didn't invest myself trying to imagine our lives together for the next, you know, three months and then find out the person has no desire to ever meet. Oh, yeah. And some people, I mean, they are on there for an entertainment experience. They like, you know, the validation. They like having conversations. And they're not necessarily looking to me. Oh. I mean, not even not even bringing into account the bots on uh, the scammers. One of my friends um, in his late 40s just got divorced. He went on Tinder and he sent me his first two interactions. And they were like, he thought they were interactions. Mm-hmm. And they were bots. Like, I could just tell... They were bots, the phraseology, the syntax, like, because I know what to look for and I've read a lot. So this poor man, aside from trying to figure out all the rest of the shit that you got to worry about in the dating world, is now has to learn the skills to differentiate humans from robots. And and, and now we have AI and chat GPT. Yeah, I was going to say, people are doing this too because they don't know what to say. So they're like, maybe ChatGPT knows what I should say or maybe it knows how I should write my profile. And so that's going to add a whole other layer of complexity to everything we've been talking about. I think it's going to go back to the way the internet was when it first came out in that don't trust anything. Yeah. Then it went, influencers trust everything. Mm-hmm. And now I think we're getting back into the nothing I see. It's all mid-journey, chat, GPT, and AI. So mm-hmm. I can't believe anything anymore. And, yeah. you know, hopefully can get back out into uh, into the real world. Um, so let's leave with um, advice for women. One piece of advice for women and one piece of advice for guys for finding someone whether it's online or whether it's in real life, but finding someone getting a better chance to find that partner to spend a long period of time with. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think my advice in some ways it would be the same to both, but also unique to what we know that men and women tend to look for in partners. I mean, I think that 
it really helps to pay attention to things that are going to matter in the long term. So in the study that I recently published that you were referencing before, when I asked people, like, how did you know you were compatible with the person that you ultimately ended up marrying? They weren't like, oh, they met my height requirements. Oh, they made the amount of money that I was hoping they would. It was like they were loyal. They were really kind. When my, you know, family member died, they showed up at the funeral, like they supported me, you know, somebody who shows up for you. Those are the things that mattered in the long term. But that is not what a lot of people look for when they're swiping. They look at, you know, how hot is this person? How tall are they? What do they do for a living? And they don't think about like, do I like the way they treat me? Are they fun to be around? Like, are they nice? You know, and I think that that discrepancy causes a lot of problems in the long run if you are looking for a long-term relationship. So to be careful about that and what you're evaluating people. All right, I think figuring out what you want, and I don't mean that in the larger sense, but like, for instance, when I sit with a 50-year-old woman, like, what do you want? Do you want a marriage? Do you want intimacy? Do you want love? Do you want family? Like, all these might be able to be found in the same package, but if you can tell me what you want the most, then we can work backwards on that. If you want love, fine. Well, you might not find someone that makes as much of you, but if love is the thing you want the most, let's work on how we find someone that's compatible for you for that and how you can be okay with it and how you can help them be okay with everything. My wife out earns me because I am attracted to powerful women. However, I had to learn what to, what, what do I bring to the table? What can I offer? Um, and I think that a lot of times some of the men look at these quote unquote, perfect women mm-hmm. with great jobs, beautiful, look great. And many times women have realized if they show vulnerability in the professional world, it's considered a weakness. So the average man may be looking at them and not seeing any vulnerability or any space for him whatsoever. And so may just yeah, not do anything about it. And it's, yeah. it's tough. It's tough. It's, there's going to be some reckoning in the next uh, decade or so of, of, of what relationships are, what we want out of relationships. Uh, men are going through their own crisis right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So on that wonderful, uplifting note, well, um, well, are you, well, th- the name of this study is the enduring effect of internet dating meeting online and the road to marriage, which I will link in the liner notes or wherever this may appear. So you can check that out as well too. Are you, what are you working on next? What can we expect from you in the future? So I'm doing a follow-up to this study that should be coming out very soon, I hope. And it's looking at the effects of meeting and online dating on marriage. So things like marital satisfaction, marital stability. Are relationships better in the long run if you meet through online dating? That's the question that, that we're trying to answer. Any previews on data? So, so far, it's looking like the online dating group, people who meet in online dating are a little bit lower on relationship quality in the long run. Uh, Not to say that the relationships are bad, but I I do wonder if that has to do with the big shift that's happened with dating apps in the past 10 years. What is it? Causality does not infer causation? Yeah, correlation. Thank you. In causality. And so this study does not utilize longitudinal data. And so this is going to be an ongoing conversation about what are some of the long-term impacts that these platforms are having. And so um, this is 
a first step towards trying to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, just, just how much, how much you got ahead of you um, and trying to create like control for everything out there, which is impossible. Yeah. Um, so good luck in parsing through all of that data. I will be looking forward to reading uh, your findings and perhaps we can talk again about another study of yours and get into it even more. Absolutely. I would love that. Awesome. Now tell people where they can find you, social media, et cetera, et cetera. I'll still put the links in, but let people know. Yeah. So I have a blog for psychology today called Dating in the Digital Age. And also you can check out my website, lisasharabi.com to learn more about my labs and the projects that we're working on right now. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for meeting with me. And one last question. Yeah. Lobos or sun devils? Sun devils. Sun devils. Okay. All right. I'm sorry, Lobos, but, um, you know, she has, she has spoken. All right. We'll talk to you later. Thanks again so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Hunt for Relationship Science. If you like what you heard here and you'd like to learn more, please check out my articles and videos at huntforadvice.com. You can also follow me at Quest for Advice on Instagram, as well as find me on LinkedIn. And please follow all of our guests as well. You can find their information in the liner notes. I'm Hunt, signing off, changing the world one smile at a time.